Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, The Unseen Hand of God, today. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 41, verses 36 to 57, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Lord Honors His Servant. Great many Christians have found Psalm 91 to be a deep source of satisfaction, you know, especially when they're going through a very deep valley. Let me read the first four verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You know, I know that those words were not written at the time of Joseph, but if they had been, I think Joseph would have delighted in them. I mean, he knew that he was hidden in the strong and defending wings of his God. He always had been. Even when his brothers were arguing about whether or not to kill him or to sell him as a slave, well, he was defended when he was a slave, and he became the most respected slave in the estate of his master. He was defended when an evil woman accused him so that he wasn't executed but only imprisoned. He was defended when the prison warden made him the prisoner who oversaw the whole prison. I have no doubt that the rest of the prisoners were blessed because of Joseph's care. You know, the next line of Psalm 91 reads, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Indeed, by now, after three years as a slave and then ten years as a prisoner, Joseph had seen that the terrors were not so terrible after all. He had God standing with him. But now he was standing in Pharaoh's presence, and he had just interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And then, in an act of courage and confidence, he gave the most powerful man on earth at that time sound advice as to what he should do next. Then he stepped back. Of course, he didn't know what would happen next. He might well have been ordered back into his prison, and life would have carried on. And even if that would have happened, Joseph would have had ample evidence that at any moment, God would continue to protect him and use him as he saw fit. The years of sorrow had settled his soul, and the terror of the night and the arrow that flew by day seemed, well, so, so less terrifying than they used to. God was molding his man. But then after Joseph had given Pharaoh wise counsel as to what to do, what would soon become a national emergency, he now stands aside and waits his fate. What happens next is one of those moments when, when everything changes. I once had a very dear friend and ministry colleague who would frequently say, you never know when you're going to round a corner and everything in a very short period of time is going to change. He meant, I think, things like illnesses. But it's just as true to say you never know when you're round a corner and God will suddenly meet you and lift up your head and honor you. You just never know. I'm reading Genesis 41 verses 37 to 45. Remember, Joseph has just finished giving Pharaoh his counsel. This is what you must do. Our text then says, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. 
and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphoneth Paneah, and he gave him in marriage to Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphora, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. You know, as I read this passage, it does seem to me that, that Pharaoh would not have allowed a man to stand in his presence without having done a great deal of research as to who he was in the first place. I have no doubt that he had already been told how, how gifted of a manager Joseph was, both in the household of Potiphar and in his excellent work of managing the prison. But Pharaoh was also noticing the Spirit of God in this man. You know, I suppose it, it might be valuable to ask you know, what Pharaoh would have meant when he said, I mean, he sees in him the Spirit of God. I mean, remember, Pharaoh is a polytheist. He's raised in the religious traditions of Egyptian gods and goddesses. And of course, Moses, who records this event, never says what Pharaoh meant. But if we look into the writings of Moses, we might get a hint. In Exodus 31, verses 1 to 5, we read, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bazalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And I think that's exactly how Pharaoh sees it as well. God has filled this man with his spirit, not just to understand dreams, but clearly also with the skill that was needed to guide Egypt over the next 14 years. Pharaoh, I think, actually had believed Joseph when Joseph said, I can't interpret your dream. God can. Well, if that's true, would it not also be true that God had given him the ability to administer the entire kingdom? See, I'm sure that's exactly what Pharaoh would have thought. This man's God is going to see us through. I'm wanting to say, as Joseph was honoring his God, God was now honoring him. See, at any rate, it would appear that Joseph becomes the vizier, or what we might now call the prime minister of Egypt, under the authority of the king. And in many ways, what we find here is that Joseph's relationship to Pharaoh actually mirrors the relationship that he once had with Potiphar, and then with the jailer, for that matter. And except here, Joseph is now so much greater than those two men. And when verse 40 has Pharaoh saying, my people shall order themselves as you command. Well, the literal reading is, my people shall be obedient to your mouth. Or when you speak, everyone in the kingdom is required to keep silence. Pharaoh then took a signet ring and placed it on Joseph. And that meant that Joseph now had the power both to make laws and to enforce them. And furthermore, all Egyptians were made to bow the knee as the chariot of Joseph rides by. Suddenly, neither Potiphar nor his disgraceful wife can order Joseph around. Indeed, he can order them. You know, this reversal of fortunes is so complete, one can only wonder the fear that his enemies must suddenly have had of him. And before we move on, let me make a brief mention of Joseph's name change. See, you'll most likely remember that it was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon that changed Daniel's names. You know, kings changed people's names, and here, both in the giving of a new name and in the giving of a wife. Well, this act completely integrates Joseph into Egyptian society. Since he's married to a prominent family 
And since he now has an Egyptian name, no one dare dismiss him as a foreigner. See, in an instant, he is made a part of the culture that he now leads. And Joseph, just like he has been faithful in his last two assignments, doesn't let grass grow under his feet. He immediately gets busy. So we're reading chapter 41, verses 46 to 49. And Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. You know, we know that Joseph was sold as a slave at the age of 17. And time is relative because, you know, it all depends on how old you are. So think of it this way. For all of his adult life and for nearly half of his total lifespan, he's been either a slave or a prisoner. You know, some men or women, when after years of obscurity suddenly achieve success and notoriety, then the applause of others is suddenly heaped upon them. Well, they become different people. You know, they're egomaniacs. You know, once when I was just starting out in ministry, I had a very wise pastor who told me, listen, you need to think about compliments and praise much like perfume. Take the occasional whiff, he said. Just don't drink it. Don't ingest it. It's going to make you sick if you do. (laughs) Yeah, but how do we do that? Well, Joseph's approach to his astonishing success in life was to be faithful to his God as he had always been before. Just get busy. He had seven years to stockpile the largest pile of grain in the world's history and to place it into every Egyptian city. Buildings would have to be built and means of storage would have to be devised. He was too busy to care about his success. There was far too much for him to do. Back to the Bible Canada's Israel experience has become a staple of ministry over the last number of years. Friends from across Canada gathered together to join Dr. Newfeld, Phil Calloway, and special musical guests for an incredible journey through the Holy Land. One friend after joining us in Israel shared, again, thank you for this wonderful trip. Like you said, the Bible has really taken on new life for us. This has been the experience of so many. Experience Israel for yourself under the teaching of Dr. Neufeld. Worship in the places where Jesus lived, walked, and taught, and you'll never read the Bible the same way again. Join all of us, Dr. Neufeld, Phil Calloway, and the entire team in 2021 for Back to the Bible Canada's Israel Experience. For more information, visit backtothebibletours.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. You know, our passage says that Joseph stored up grain in such abundance, there was so much of it, that he simply couldn't keep measuring it. You know, that would mean that he has, at least up to this point, been keeping a very close accounting of how much grain was being saved. You know, since our passage tells us that Joseph was traveling the land, well, we've got to believe that he's becoming familiar with, you know, the farmers, 
He's becoming familiar with the customs of the land. He's becoming familiar with those who are entrusted to saving up the grain. And he's communicating his goals to everyone. He's holding people accountable to those goals. And his success is so astonishing that the public granaries are now so large that he stops having a good measuring system of accounting for everything. Well, now Moses suddenly now interjects into this account of Joseph's activity by giving us a personal glimpse of how Joseph is doing. Look at verses 50 to 52. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphorah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph and Asenath have two boys, and of course, that will become a part of the story of Israel. The tribe of Joseph will in the future be divided into two half-tribes. There will be the half-tribe of Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And that arrangement will make sense because as the story of Israel unfolds, we're going to see that the tribe of Levi, which is the priestly tribe, will not receive an inheritance in the promised land. And yet the land will still be divided into 12 portions. Ephraim and Manasseh will each inherit a portion. And furthermore, the the half-tribe of Ephraim will take a great deal of leadership of Israel in the future. But those days are yet to come. You know, for now, Moses simply mentions the birth of the two boys and also that their names have a great deal of significance for Joseph. The oldest is Ephraim, and his name quite literally means one who causes to forget. And Moses is telling us here that these are very good years for Joseph. These are the first good years he's experienced as an adult. And slowly the deep wounds of his betrayal and slavery and of injustice, well, they're starting to heal. Joseph doesn't yet understand God's plan in all of this, but he does know that the pain of hardship is receding. Now, just a small point here, but I think it's an important one. When Joseph says that God has caused him to forget his hardship, it it doesn't mean that he can't remember it. People who have been deeply wounded don't forget. But the wounds no longer paralyze him. They no longer hurt as they once did. Joseph is able to find joy as hard as at peace. But there's another matter here that is surprising. He says, God has made me forget all my father's house. I mean, is he saying, I've given up on my dream of Abraham and and my dream for my real family, the chosen people of God? Well, I don't think so. As we're going to see when he meets his brothers, the very meeting of them fills him with such emotion. Well, it's quite clear he's not forgotten a thing. I think we should understand his forgetting of his family in exactly the same way that we understand him forgetting his hardships. It means to say that the turbulent emotion, you know, the thought about his brothers and the harm that they had caused, all those emotions had begun to fade. The choppy waters that must have disturbed him in hundreds of ways, the cruelty, the injustice, and and all that, well, those waters were now becoming calm. Joseph is very busy with the affairs of state, but he is also a man of peace. Well, the second son is born, and his name is Ephraim. It means twice fruitful. And of course, that's Joseph's way of giving thanks that that now for the second time, a son is again born to him. But Joseph adds his own thought to the name. In the very land of my affliction, in the land where I was brought as a slave, in the land where I've known only suffering, in that very land, I have come to wealth and honor and blessing. I've received a family and a place of belonging. I mean, who could ever have imagined such a thing? 
See, it's very important here to reflect on Joseph's experience and ask ourselves whether or not we might expect such a promise for all the people of God. Well, in order to answer that, let's dial that back just a bit. And at the very least, let's come to this conclusion. It is possible to find the blessing of God in the land of affliction. It is possible that the very place where most of your pain was found right there becomes the very place of peace and prosperity. We know that that's certainly true because that's how God dealt with Joseph. Of course, he was aware that he'd been robbed of his inheritance, but he was also aware of God's overwhelming kindness in his life right now. And because that was undeniably true, it seems to me that the person who was driven out of their land because of persecution can also find in a new land. That's hard and difficult to understand, but in that very place, you can now find that God will meet you and bless you. And furthermore, it's not just that Joseph finds a blessing in an unexpected place but that Joseph also plays an important role in God's economy. Did God love the Egyptians? Yeah, undeniably so. And for that reason, God designed that Joseph would play a key role that would prevent that nation from being wiped out by a devastating famine. God had a role for Joseph to play. There was meaning in his life. There was purpose. And these are hopeful words to everyone who thinks that unless things return to the way they once were, you know, I can't be fulfilled. God's purpose in my life can't be found. I can't find joy. Listen, child of God, you who have gone through a divorce, you who have lost your life savings, you who have been fired from a good job, you who have left your native land because of persecution, God is not hampered in blessing you. God is not hampered in healing you and in giving you purpose in your new setting. You know, you hold on to that. And it requires faith, but you remember this. Your faith is in the God of Joseph. But there's more. I want you to go to 1 Samuel 12, 22. And I know this goes beyond Joseph's story, but it's pertinent. In 1 Samuel 12, Israel finally realizes that, you know, they've sinned. They've chosen a king at the wrong time. And now they realize they've made a mistake and they begin to mourn. What's going to happen to us now, they say. In response, Samuel counsels the people. You've done all this evil, he says, yet don't despair. God won't forsake you. Don't turn away to empty things now because there is hope. And with that comes verse 22. And hear me, child of God, this is a great promise. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Listen, child of God, if that was said of ancient Israel, How much more can it be said of you, saved by the blood of Christ? If the land that you are now in is overwhelmingly hard, do you think that the one who promised never to forsake you will now, in your case, abandon his great promise? No, he will not. The God who cared for Joseph will care for you. And you will find that Joseph's story is not the only story of redemption. And with that, we come to the end of our passage, verses 53 to 57. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, All the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the land. 
<laughs> finally, after all this time, we finally see what God has had in mind. From the day he sent Joseph to Egypt, bound in chains, among the captives of slavery at the back of a camel train of the Ishmaelites. <laughs> I know our eyes are very quickly drawn to the next chapter as we find Joseph's brothers coming to Egypt to buy food. In the next chapter, we're going to watch them bow before him and thus fulfill Joseph's dream that one day his family would indeed bow before him. But let's not come to that part of the equation too quickly. You know, for Joseph, there was another role for him to fulfill. Verse 57 says that all the earth came to see Joseph. And we're not to think that the people from the Americas journeyed there. I mean, all the earth here means simply all the earth that had connections with Egypt. Joseph is appointed by God not only to save the Egyptians, but also the Nubians to the south and the Libyans to the east and the Assyrians and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Girgashites and even the ancient Hyksos. Nation after nation will journey to Egypt and they will find salvation from hunger. That is Joseph's role. And I can only imagine how difficult Joseph's job must have been. But the years of suffering and reversal have forged his character. God would not have wasted those experiences. Genesis 41 tells us that God honors those who put their trust in him. The Lord will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The Lord will restore you. The Lord will again give you purpose and meaning. Child of God, do not despair. The Lord has not forgotten you. John, I think this is a question maybe we ask ourselves over and over and over again. But, you know, when we're in those moments of or those times of despair, how, how do we believe that, that God's going to bring something good out of that? Yeah, maybe we need to step back just a, a hair from that question and uh, ask whether or not we actually believe that God is able to redeem that and bring us pleasure in the place where once pain existed. I mean, do we believe that God is able? I mean, I, you know, sometimes we spend a great deal of time asking those big questions uh, and not asking something that's far more immediate. And I think as I, you know, go through this life of Joseph and I, and I see God blessing him in the land of his pain, um, you know, it is important for us to ask, could that not be my story as well? And if you believe that it can be, it's because you believe that God is able to redeem everything uh, in your life. Not one thing will be lacking and not one thing will be wasted. Well, how important it is for God's people to cling to this wonderful truth. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Unseen Hand of God, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We're so grateful for all of our listeners right across this beautiful country. And if you'd like to become a part of the team of Back to the Bible Canada, well, this month, we'd like to invite you to become a monthly partner or also to participate in our special match campaign this month. So for every dollar you give towards the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again or In Doubt, another dollar will be given up to $50,000, expanding our opportunity to minister God's Word across Canada and beyond. If you've been listening and perhaps you've never taken the opportunity to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada before, you know what? This just might be the perfect time. Join us in our $50,000 match campaign in October or become a monthly partner. Call us today at one 800 663 
That's 1-800-663-2425 or donate securely online at backtothebible.ca.